Bare interior, gray light. Left and right back, high up, two small windows, curtains drawn. Front right, a door. Hanging near door, its face to wall, a picture. Front left, touching each other, covered with an old sheet, two ash bins. Center, in an armchair on casters, covered with an old sheet, ham. Motionless by the door, his eyes fixed on ham, clove. Very red face. This is the opening description of the set of Samuel Beckett's 1957 play, Endgame, exactly as Beckett intended it. A small shelter for these characters, with only one room ever shown to the audience, with two windows, some furniture, and nothing really happening outside. They're hiding from some unnamed catastrophe or apocalypse, talking to each other, and Clove is moving around while the other characters mostly stay in their initial spots. And Clove is moving around in a very specific way. I'm going to read some stage directions from Beckett's script, just to give a sense of how precise his movements are supposed to be. He gets down, takes six steps towards window right, goes back for ladder, carries it over and sets it down under window right, gets up on it, draws back curtain. He gets down, takes three steps towards window left, goes back for ladder, carries it over and sets it down under window left, gets up on it, looks out of window, brief laugh. He gets down, takes one step towards window right, goes back for ladder, carries it over and sets it down under window right, gets up on it, looks out of window, brief laugh. Well, I think we can say safely that details were very important to Beckett in this show. Even pauses were written in very explicitly at the end of at least a third of the lines in the play. Seriously, searching a PDF of the script for pause gives almost 400 instances of it in the show. I've never seen any script so precise in its stage directions before, though maybe that's a side effect of most of my theatrical experience being helping with grade school shows. I'm sure there are some other very detailed scripts out there somewhere, but are productions supposed to follow them to the letter? What happens when someone takes on a detailed show like Endgame and decides to do it differently? In 1984, Joanne Akalatis of the American Repertory Theater did just that. Her vision of Endgame was set in an abandoned subway station, which had been transformed into a post-apocalyptic fallout shelter. The furniture pieces and the windows Beckett described were still there, though done somewhat differently. Nag and Nell, who were originally in Ashbins, now sat in empty oil barrels. Ham's armchair had become a simple wooden chair on a pallet with styrofoam strapped to its back. There was an empty subway car upstage. Acolytus also included an overture in the show, whose original script featured no music. Douglas Stein designed the set, which is, in my opinion at least, absolutely stunning. I feel like it took a new look at the show and gave a different perspective on the specific setting while still staying pretty true to the original, a small shelter from an unseen apocalypse. Photos of the set are still on record on Art's website. If you're interested, I'd really recommend checking those out and seeing what you think of it. I put a link in the transcript of this episode. So this is a pattern which I'm sure many theater practitioners have seen pretty often. A director takes his show and puts their own spin on it, while still staying pretty true to the message and themes of the original. For example, I was in a production of Twelfth Night in my senior year of high school. For anyone unfamiliar, it's a Shakespeare comedy that was originally set in Illyria, in an unnamed time period, but one with pirates and dukes and nobles. Our version of it, on the other hand, was set in the music industry of the 1950s. 
I was Orsino, who was not a duke in this case, but rather a famous record producer. Other than that, and a set that screamed Vegas in the 50s, we stuck to the script and story pretty much word for word. Though I'm pretty sure I still haven't gotten all the grease out of my hair. But in the case of Acolytus' production of Endgame, it didn't go so smoothly. Samuel Beckett found out about Acolytus' version of his setting, and he was not happy, to say the least. He felt it was going against the stage directions of his original work, which, yeah, it kind of was. To Acolytus' credit, she followed the written intonations and pauses incredibly faithfully, more so than most prior productions of Endgame, but the set was still a glaring difference in Beckett's eyes. He wanted the production to be stopped, or called a parody with his name fully removed from it, as he felt it was no longer his original accurate work being put on stage. After a pretty long battle between Beckett and Art, which came to a close just hours before the play opened, an agreement was reached. The show would proceed as planned, but there would be changes to the promotional materials for the production, which I'll talk about in a moment, and Beckett would write an insert for the program describing his perspective. His insert included the first page of his original script, which covered the description of the set I read earlier, and a note from him regarding this production. I'll read an excerpt from it now. Any production of Endgame which ignores my stage directions is completely unacceptable to me. My play requires an empty room and two small windows. The American Repertory Theater production, which dismisses my directions, is a complete parody of the play as conceived by me. Anybody who cares for the work couldn't fail to be disgusted by this. Okay, I feel like that's a little harsh, but Beckett clearly had very strong feelings about this. Despite Beckett's efforts, Art wouldn't call the play an adaptation or remove his name from it. He talks about this in his insert as well. Another condition of the agreement was that Beckett's statement would be included on any promotional materials that included his name. That could lead to some pretty confusing advertising. Come see our production of Endgame by Samuel Beckett. He called it completely unacceptable and disgusting. I mean, I'd see it. If I saw a poster that said that, I'd definitely go see it. As word of this spread, it caused some controversy in the theater world and brought up a pretty important question about how much control an author versus a director should have over a production. Is it necessary to follow not only an author's intentions, but their exact staging word for word? How far is too far when it comes to a director making changes? What really fits with the spirit of the original? Can that spirit change over time as the world does? And should authors be able to do what Beckett did? Alice Hale, writing in Theater Crafts, puts her concerns, which are shared by many others, including myself, into words better than I could. She writes, The potential danger here seems to be that modern plays will become museum pieces after their first and supposedly definitive production. While the impact this could have on directors is clear, the threat to a designer's work is also visible. Hearing about this incident has made me question even some of my prior work as a set designer. Did I follow the text closely enough? If my designs had been on a larger stage, would some authors have spoken out against them for the fact that I did things differently than they had? It's a scary thought, and one that probably won't leave me for a while in any future set work I do, and I feel like that kind of exemplifies the problem here. Have you ever contributed to or seen a show that didn't exactly fit the original script? Did the changes detract from the show's message? Did they add some new meaning to it? 
could be some combination of those, or maybe it didn't even make much of a difference. Maybe changes allowed commentary to be made on an issue much more pertinent to today's world than one that was more prominent when the play was written. In that 50s production of Twelfth Night I talked about earlier, we tried to make it more focused on LGBT issues. Members of the LGBT community played both Orsino and Viola, and we were encouraged by the director to shape the characters' stories to our own. I was able to show some of my own struggles discovering and accepting my sexuality through Orsino discovering and accepting his. Like dealing with expectations of heterosexuality in his relationship with Olivia, who he chases after for most of the show. The director and I portrayed this chase as more of an obligation for Orsino as the show went on, as he deals with his more complex feelings about Viola. The actor playing Viola paralleled their journey through their transition, with Viola's disguises and identity through the play as she blended in as Cesario, who was a man in Orsino's court, and gradually became more comfortable with that identity than she had been with her original one. At the end of the show, after everything had been revealed in a wonderfully Shakespearean fashion, they adopted a costume that was a blend of Viola and Cesario for the final scene. I'm pretty sure Shakespeare didn't intend for Twelfth Night to be about LGBT issues, but as a show being put on by a high school in the American South and a community where young LGBT and questioning people often struggle with being accepted by those around them, I feel like it definitely made an impact. This may be where some of my feelings about adaptations and word-for-word -word faithfulness to the original come from. This production really opened my eyes to the value of shaping a show to fit a modern issue, and giving your audience something to think about that affects them and the others around them. Personally, I respect Accolatus and Stein a lot for their version of Endgame and its set. It feels and looks relevant to its time and the issues that were at the forefront of people's minds then, nearing the end of the Cold War. I see the value in productions like this, but of course, Beckon and Art aren't the only example of a similar conflict. Others show different sides of this question of the power balance between author and director, and how adaptations can and should be treated.